You're listening to Titans of Techcom, brought to you by Hereto, where you'll hear real stories from real people who have tried, failed, learned, and succeeded. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Titans of Techcom. This is our new podcast, and I'm your host, Vivek Nanda. I'm VP of Marketing at Hereto, and Hereto is a content ops platform for knowledge management. And today, I have my very first guest, Jared Baum. And Jared, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Vivek. So, Jared, this show somewhat is attributed to your comments on my LinkedIn post. So this is my fault. You're laying this at my feet. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to make note of that. Yes. Uh, Well, I mean, in a good way, right? So this, uh, the reason why we wanted to bring this show out is uh, there have been talks and podcasts all about the technical stuff in tech tech space, but not as much about the people who are the real force behind it. Like the issues they face, the learnings, the strategies and the uncomfortable topics sometimes. And that's sure. the focus of this show. So let's let's first start let, let's really first start with how did you end up being a technical writer? Tell us a little bit about your journey. It was a complete accident if I'm being honest. Um I had studied linguistics in college. I had gotten really deeply into it and I'd actually uh slated myself originally for a career in academia. And then at a certain point, uh, reevaluated my path and wanted to go into the NYPD uh, and eventually worked my way up from a street cop to uh, something in counterterrorism. I have a very personal connection to 9-11. So that was some of the driver behind that and Mm -hmm. leveraging the language and understanding of the skills and praxis, you know, that I had absorbed in the course of my studies. But uh, during that time, I had begun doing SEO for... uh, an IT consultant that had owned his own company, kind of like small businesses, you know, doing weighted keyword articles. And I, I got to see the direct effect of the marriage of language and technology. And that is, that's something that really appealed to me, especially because for a while I had been on the forensic side of things and, you know, seeing that one-to-one and seeing, you know, that paradigmatic shift when I pushed an article out there really got me curious. And uh, from there I had spent some time, uh, as a government contractor, I've also, I did several years in business intelligence, a short stint in financial services, and currently I work in cybersecurity. So, you know, the, the industries change, right. but, you know, the, the main thrust of what I do in the tradecraft kind of stays, you know, as much as it's applicable one industry to the other. Wow. By the way, interesting how you ended up being there. And uh, <laughs> there's a very... Uh, there's a parallel to my career too here. I was a software engineer. So I worked for big companies in my past life, Fortune 50 companies, started as a, a C++ Unix developer. Oh, wow. And I had one of my mentors who started a company and they built a vocabulary building app. And I was going more from a product manager's perspective to say like, oh, let me just review your app. I will write a blog post. I wrote about it. And uh, it was ranking very high and they got 10,000 downloads. And that was how I first got into marketing. And this is the story, the real story, how I actually ended up in marketing. Yeah, the the written word is powerful. I mean, no exaggeration whatsoever. Right, right. Absolutely. Uh, All right. So now I want to touch how how you ended up 
being part of this conversation. So, so my post was obviously about the treatment and positioning of technical writers. Like my, it was totally a rant, like the way I've heard from my experiences and it, it wasn't, the number wasn't like four or five. It was in like hundreds that I have heard from people and they all shared the same, uh, at least the same, same emotion I had about it. So the question I have for you is, and obviously your comments were very profound and I really want to expand and have and bring them out and give them more voice like to, for, for others to hear. So regarding the treatment of positioning and technical writers within an organization and, uh, you know, and, and, and you mentioned that like they, like you shared quite a bit there on the post. So I would love to have you expand your thoughts. Yeah, I kind of strafed a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so why don't you tell us about what you think about the treatment and positioning of technical writers? I think um, one of the points I brought up was that it hinges on the company's vision or lack thereof. I think, you know, organizational dynamics, and I'm going to be very reductive about this and say that, you know, it's relationships. And one of the, uh, one of the hallmarks of relationship awareness is communication. And when you prioritize communication or you see how you could leverage communication, you tend to do better with the placement of your writing resources and the positioning of your content. If you are solely maintaining content for compliance or, you know, just general, you know, customer support or as kind of a, you know, afterthought of a saleable point, it's not going to go as well. You're not going to find the diverse content offerings. You're not going to be capturing KPIs. You're not going to see your content affect true case avoidance on the customer success side or be used as a point of excitement during pre-sales. So the ability to communicate externally to clients and prospective clients, as well as communicate internally, I think is a fairly reasonable indicator of the health and correct mindset of any organization. Now, of course, as you mentioned, you know, tech writers are the leaders and the drivers of the written word as it pertains to the product. Now, you know, in an ideal scenario, a tech writer is working with the products team and the PM and the engineers and the QA people. They are, you know, using the buy-in and the trust that they have to, you know, optimize content within the UI and affect the UI UX balance through the written word. The documentation is well-structured and the value-add is well-communicated because the PM is a true partner. Right. Once the software releases and that content is deployed, anybody that comes to the knowledge base or portal or information center or whatever, you know, configuration of content to get to a help module that piece of content, that tranche of information is not only an expression of the developer's ideal, but helps the customer understand on board that ideal and self-serve and solve problems. You know, sometimes like I, I use the, uh, the toaster scenario, like you just want the toaster to work. You know, you don't care what the, uh, what the coils are made out of or, you know, what the stress testing or materials and methods are. You know, you've got to write for your audience and you have to not only make your audience self-serve, but they have to feel good about that. An organization that ideally places writers will get that result. And on the flip side of that, an organization that doesn't 
is just going to get a bunch of words and their ticket burden is going to skyrocket. Right. It's interesting. Um, I was reading something and uh, it was very specific how the organizations should probably look tech docs as a product. That was the, you know, crux of it. And the it's not reason, that far off. And, 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 and the explanation was it's by using that lens, you're better able to connect with your end users, which you exactly what you're saying. Like if you, if you, if you really care about how the toaster, uh, the, to the toaster is working, not worry about what's in it. So yeah. it, it's like the user centric view. And if you treat tech talk as a product, you're almost going to wear as an organization that lens that it's connected to the customer. It's easy to justifiable. I think that's what you're mm -hmm. kind of also going to tell. And I was, uh, uh, and you said something really interesting on the post, which I, I, I'm sure a lot of people liked it. It was like, technical writers are both a bridge between departments and a reflection of company strategy at large. First of all, I love that. It was, Thank you. It, it was amazing to read that. But, uh, but uh, you know, I would like to have you hear from you and see what's your interpretation of that, what exactly does it mean? Oh, I mean, I think it's definitely extension of the communication and, you know, awareness posture. You know, tech writers belong at cross-functional teams. Our mandate is to work with everybody. It's, you know, it's collaborative. Right. If I'm siloed, I'm not doing my job. And if I'm not speaking to that dynamic, like if I encounter a silo, I'm going to try and break it down. Because right. you have four different teams working in four disparate ways to the same goal. And they all need some channel of communication or, you know, and, and this is not necessarily like in a kumbaya capacity, like, right. Oh, I have to bring, you know, the devs and the DevOps guys and, you know, the solution architects and the marketing people together. Like we sit around the campfire and sing, this is not that, but you know, in a perspective way, especially if you're going to be talking to customers and not only end users of the toaster, but there are going to be toaster admins that want to know about resource management of electricity, or there are going to be toaster developers that want to know the particulars of the coils and, you know, the outer limits of heating and so on and so forth. When you collate that information, you're able to kind of, you know, bookmark it and keep track of it, curate it in such a way that you can leverage it and push it out, you know, to those different ends. Right. You become the bridge between the departments. You become a resource that people count on. They begin to see the ROI and the value of what it is you do. And they come to you with, you know, more questions and, you know, problems to solve. And eventually, you know, the, the synchronicity, you know, gives back because then you're all working together. You're all communicating together. And, you know, the UI is also reflective of good ux and good cx right not not that it's necessarily the burden of us to you know clean up like a company's you know quote-unquote mess and I, I i hesitate to say that pejoratively because look you know any of us in the software industry know that everything is on fire all the time <laughs> that i can attest to yeah. but you know to, to be a facilitator to see you know to not be treated as, you know, some afterthought of a resource, but to kind of take that leadership. I, I, I think there are always 
two unspoken rules in any uh, work environment. Uh, the first one is everybody craves certainty and nobody's willing to provide it. And the second one is you always have the ability to negotiate if you're bringing something to the table. And, you know, a tech writer is just naturally situated to do that. Right. It's just a matter of, you know, having the confidence in one's abilities and, you know, one's you know, capability of cultivating those relationships and also knowing that the company has their back to facilitate that end. Right. Interesting. And, uh, I mean, you briefly touched PM or POs being partners to tech writers because I guess both have the similar incentive of getting the product to the market. Um, I had this thought and I always wonder that, uh, and maybe I could be wrong here, and maybe you can answer it from your experience. Have you seen a lot of tech com folks becoming PM and product owners and product managers? Because I feel like as much as what is their role, PM and product owner's role, it seems like the tech com or tech writers are also doing almost that. Like they're also thinking in terms of testing a solution if someone is going to test as a user, like in mm -hmm. Toaster's case. So they have an instruction set for that as well. They have to think through that scenarios. So it's almost like everything what they do, and I don't anticipate technical writers doing different, except they are not doing project management as much, but work-wise, it's the full journey of the product in a similar way. So what are your thoughts on that? I think in, it's definitely one of the natural progressions that can happen. Um, you know, some people, I, I guess I should back up and also say that, you know, given the dynamics of a lot of software companies, tech writers work in agile, but mm -hmm. more often than not, you know, and or Kanban or any of the other project management standards, I, I the majority of my experience has been in agile. But, okay. you know, we, we manage our own release sprints kind of parallel to the development sprints. You know, mm. whatever is happening in the ticket, we're tracking features, you know, we're tracking completion of tickets or feature requests or, you know, in the rare occasion that bugs get communicated. You know, it, it almost happens kind of like straight alongside without ever truly touching sure. the developers' uh, cues for a release sprint. So... You know, we're cultivating that skill, you know, as we go. Any tech writer is a project manager. Right. You know, so the, the gestalt is there. Um, another reason that, you know, tech writers may see recourse to go become product managers. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's an aspirational thing, but also sometimes it could be an escape. I mean, if you're not respected as a TW, if you're not, you know, giving meaningful input that is actioned you're going to want to find a bigger podium right yeah and do you think it's an easier path like no <laughs> <laughs> okay. no I, I i see what my pm goes through and i worry about it constantly uh, <laughs> okay like if you think tech writing is fires managing you know front-end engineers back-end engineers qa people deployment, DevOps, you know, solutioning, architects, like that's, that's a big job. Right. You know, and you still need documentation. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. Definitely not easier though. I mean, <laughs> res respectable, awesome. Like yeah. I, I am an admiration of PMs yeah. and uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult gig. 
Right. Yeah, I uh, I can tell uh, the PM at our company is super helpful, obviously, but uh, but at the same time, sometimes I feel for him because it's like the fire that we see and the fire he's in is always. Yeah, I mean, tech, tech writers are quasi invisible, you know, in less than ideal scenarios, but PMs are always visible no matter what. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my uh, experience also has been in a similar way. Yeah. All right. So, so let's talk about this. Like, how do you think technical communication professionals should evaluate their jobs? Like, you know, obviously there was a lot of, lot of, uh, when I posted that, there was a lot of uh, people on dissatisfied. And still there, they had some ideas which few of them presented on the post itself. But I'm curious, uh, how do you see, how should people evaluate their own jobs while they're there at the company and make a decision that is right for them? Yeah, I mean, in in the work life and on the personal side, I think everybody is you know, different in what they need and what they want. Sure. You know, just, just as no two tech writers are the same, you know, we're a very expansive community working across, you know, multitudes of verticals, manufacturing software, aeronautics, other stuff. Right. So, you know, what, what you personally get your career trajectory is kind of incumbent upon you. But I mean, just speaking from my own experience, um, one of the ways I evaluate my job is, um, am I able to kick tires? You know, am I told to stay in my little box and just not cause a ruckus? Or do I have the ability, you know, as I alluded earlier, to become that cross-functional partner? What can I get away with that aligns with the company's vision? If I see a process wanting, do I have any recourse to change it? Am I able to suggest new tools and industry standards? They really want to hear what I have to say. Mm -hmm. And can they incorporate and kind of templatize my efforts. You know, as we um, earlier on kind of, you know, alluded to, you know, some companies just want content for compliance. They're just like, look, this is what it is. We're just going to put it out there, you know, at least like in the B2B space, like some folks are not invested sure. in that. You know, there, there are situations where, you know, maybe it wasn't thought about or maybe it wasn't a priority. In order to correctly evaluate my job, I have to be diagnostic. I, I have to see not necessarily what the organization presents me, but I have to also be my own advocate and say, hey, I noticed this. Can we try this? Or would you willing? Would you be willing for me to take ownership of this and drive it? You know, if right. they say yes, then great. If they say no, you know, is it a time or budget factor? Or is there another strategy in place that would perhaps, you know, supersede mine? Like, I, I really want to look and, you know, not just project, you know, my own perceptions or any ambiguities onto the situation in the same way that I treat my trade craft or the way I, you know, garner information and author doc, I'm going right. to use those same diagnostic processes to kind of suss out, you know, what the situation at a company is. But I mean, right. in terms of the universality is respect. Like if somebody doesn't respect you, you kind of, you know, get wise to that fairly quickly. And uh, you know, I, I hesitate to prescribe anything universally for anyone because obviously everyone's situation is different. But right. if they're not listening to you and you're not okay with that, consider your options. <laughs> right. And do you think that companies that 
take these roles only contractually, are they like the red flag to you? Because I feel like absolutely like, no question unequivocally. Okay. If if you're telling me, but first off, if you're going to send me a message on LinkedIn, uh, you know, gives me some kind of you know sugar-coated hi. I saw your resume; it's so great. I have a three-month contract opportunity for you. That that's okay for some people, but it's also it, it tells me that you're looking at me in a very ephemeral way, mm-hmm. and content is not a long-term investment for you. You have an ad hoc project that you want to solve. And if that's, you know, your case, and again, you know, that's not a knock on businesses. Organizations have differing requirements, but, you know, I find I thrive best, you know, both as a person and as a professional in an organization that has a long-term vision that wants its content to grow, that wants its users to grow. Right. You know, if it's something like, oh, you know, we have all this back-end doc that we have to, you know, reorganize. Right. Like that. Okay, granted, you know, I like to say that tech writers are part journalists, part librarians, and part QA engineers. You know, <laughs> there is a library science aspect. Right. right. But at the same time, you know, these, these contract offers and, you know, these ad hocs kind of really speak to a fundamental misunderstanding of what it is we do and what we can offer were we to be invested in a little bit further. And, and piggybacking on this, assuming that, there is a great role that come that that's like came to you. And what are few of the questions that technical communication professionals must ask before joining a company? I think that would be really helpful to a lot of folks. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is, am I innovating content or am I maintaining a status quo? You know, again, vision versus compliance, you know, am I taking a proactive posture in the way that I'm going to be authoring, editing, and publishing documentation for this company? Are there opportunities for me to really grow with the product and drill into other areas that, you know, might even open up saleable fronts from the content perspective, you know, for potential clients or existing customers, you know, or am I just on the assembly line, you know, cobbling little PDFs together? Right. And I guess this ties into... The, uh, the first answer, you know, how does the company weigh the importance of content? Right. You know, I don't want to be wasting my time at an organization that's going to treat me in a stagnating capacity. Because if I am practicing technical writing for a company, besides the paycheck, uh, there's also the whetstone that keeps you industry curved. Am I using the latest tools? Am I using, you know, practices, styles, and standards that are concurrent with what other competitive organizations in, you know, said industry are doing. Because, you know, if I spend a certain amount of time at a company and I'm using antiquated tools and techniques, and then I try to get back out there after I've been chewed up and spit out, I I, no, I've, I've fundamentally lost something that is important and I have to now play catch up or I have to compromise, you know, the, salary needs or you know title needs to kind of hedge my bets right so you know innovation latest tools and you know the respect factor is the third thing you know are tech writers seen as vital partners or are we a glorified av club right and when you say innovation is there any specific 
things that you look into from outside in view are they really innovating how do you how do you make a you know evaluation on that well i mean even let's see i've been doing this now for and i i've made my living off the written word in some fashion now for over 12 years and in that time i've seen the way technical communication is you know curated and presented change fundamentally right you know so i always it's it's always my hope that whatever i'm doing is not stuck in the mid 2000s or you know early 2010s i want to learn new things i want to make sure you know i if there's a better way to do something like for instance you know years ago people were using you know microsoft word or brother word processors and they sent you know PDFs to literal print shops, like publishing was a physical, you know, ink and toner kind of job with those (laughs) little like plastic spiral binders. And they were sending them out to customers. That predates me. I'm not that old, (laughs) but, um, but I did see the tail end of that. Mm -hmm. I've seen people working in Microsoft word, or I've seen, you know, people validating edits, you know, by little screen captures and, you know, the PDF being the be all end all. I saw that morph into data, um, into you know outputting eclipse-based information centers to you know more sophisticated html knowledge bases i've seen drupal come into force so and getting off the tool side for a second the way we speak and the way we absorb information you know as you know the millennial generation begins to get older and kind of lead the standard for you know techcom the way we're consuming is more concise or, you know, more to the point. We're not being as florid. Right. Right. And we're also, you know, cross-indexing and cross-referencing and adding videos. Like, they're become more modules of information. So that, that that's always something I want to be aware of. I never want to abandon that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And uh, do you see... I mean, there's a big push for video content and short form video content, right? Right now, it's like, uh, I feel like this is like, since the time we got into pandemic, the video consumption really went high. And now everybody is consuming video, but now we are just getting to find places where there is like concise content or it's shorter formats. So do you see any changes on the tech comm side where it's almost becoming like, yeah, we need to also have video content along with everything else? Yeah, I think it's vital. I think, you know, many people learn differently. And, you know, the the written word, I don't believe is ever going to fully go away. Right, sure. You know, depending on, you know, where your head is at or what space you're physically in or you know, what your needs are in that moment. Like you, you can't do like API doc in a video. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, right. you can, it's just not going to go over well, but yeah. um, no, I, I see the, um, you know, companion video and content, you know, relationship that that more holistic offering of content. I think that's a good thing um, for training, for onboarding, you know, even just intra departmentally within an organization, you know, doing a feature demo, that 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 is content right so again piggybacking on this question do you think like 
tech com folks will become more like uh, what do you say the directors for video production guys <laughs> the because like you said the api doc cannot be a video but maybe an instructional video which talks about api doc is going to be a video and then it's a partnership between video production and you know tech com yeah i mean we're getting kind of into the e-make and edic but um <laughs> you know I, i i don't think there's such a thing as you know bad knowledge right you know cuz sometimes you have to see the way something is executed um i have worked in scenarios where you know attached to the technical content department there was a strong you know uh staff pool of you know video you know producers and editors and you know i i never once thought that they took away from content offering or you know endangered you know our posture in any way and they even had us you know sometimes recording and editing videos uh, do i think all that should land on a tech writer it depends on the organization the goals and you know obviously the writers you know comfort level with taking that on but um no any any organization that has the wherewithal to you know hire and maintain video development resources i think it's great all right cool Uh, I think this has been very helpful. Now I want to ask a couple of questions about you personally. So, oh, hot seat. Okay, very personal questions. <laughs> so, what? I take the Fifth Amendment. All right. <laughs> so, would you like to tell the world one thing that no one in your professional circles knows about you? Something. It's your chance. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm I'm pretty loud about the fact that I used to. Uh, you know gig with rock bands and play the clubs around new york city uh i spent many years as a band kid uh, nice more or less in semi retirement right now but the thing that i'm proudest of is that i collect and play uh stringed instruments from all over the middle east and central asia so i have a very you know deep and abiding interest in you know that region and the ethnomusicology and you know actually owning and playing and learning how to properly articulate on those instruments really gives me like a deep connection to the history of the anthropology like i'm i'm everything from like north africa to like afghanistan or mongolia like that that really you know it really really interests me wow interesting that's super interesting i wasn't expecting this so how 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 many approximately instruments do you have in your collection if i may ask Oh goodness. All right. Um so I'm in my home office right now. I know I've got the camera blurred out, but um I I guess if you were to ask my wife, she would say too many. <laughs> I bet. But, I mean, I I'm I'm looking at stuff that I've got from uh, Egypt, Turkey, Greece, Russia, Kazakhstan. Uh it's it's pretty pretty diverse. Wow. And and have you been to all those places too or it's uh No, I wish. It, <laughs> okay well this is one way of getting to those places right like you get through music and uh, you know knowing those places that's the first way to go yeah well when the when the pandemic ends i would definitely like to uh head off to turkey and uh, spend some time in istanbul and on the aegean coast wonderful well that's great so jared thank you for your time today i think it's been a great conversation but before we close the conversation where can people find you if they want to connect with you or ask you clarifying questions new questions or maybe even about some musical instruments 
Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. So uh, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Jared dash Baum, uh, J-A-R-E-D dash B-A-U-M. All right. Thank you, every uh, everyone. You know where Jared is. Find him there. And thanks for listening. And this is Titans of Techcom. Thank you, Jared, once again. Cheers. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Titans of Techcom, brought to you by Hereto. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Looking forward to next time with more real stories from real people just like you.